I really look up to my older brother, Paul, not just because he's taller than me, but also because of the way he lives out his faith. About 13 years ago, he and his wife, Manda, were living in Grand Rapids, and they had just had their third child, and they would soon have a fourth child. And they realized that their family was outgrowing the size of their house. And they did something unusual. They did something that most of their peers and friends were not doing. They didn't go out to the suburbs and look for more land and more space. Rather, they moved right into the inner city in Grand Rapids where they live. And they bought an old house. And they moved into this block where none of the other kids looked like my nieces and nephews. None of them had blonde or red hair like my nieces and nephews do. And they made this decision to move into this neighborhood that some people would call a bad neighborhood and how wrong they would be if they called it that. My brother and sister-in-law and their children have had such a great experience living in this neighborhood for all these years. They still live there now. I love visiting them and seeing my nieces and nephews run around with all of their neighbors. The backyards are connected. There's true community that happens there. It's a beautiful thing. My nephew, who's now in high school, just for example, he helps lead a gospel choir with his good friend. He's a great musician. Just the richness of life, of intertwined lives in this neighborhood. In fact, the block has become such a great place to live that lots of my brother and sister-in-law's friends have also moved in. And my brother says, we got to move out of here now. These people all look like us now. It's been a great experience for them. You might ask yourself, what would compel a family to do this? What would compel a family to move into a neighborhood like this? And the answer is really that it's revealing of the very heart of God. The story of Scripture is of a God who has moved in to our neighborhood to intertwine his lives with ours, his life with ours. It's an amazing narrative that we see all through Scripture. If my brother was here today, he would insist that he's no spiritual hero, but rather he just did what he felt God compelled him to do what God stirred in his heart to do, and God has blessed him ever since. God stirs in people's hearts sometimes to do unusual things. That's how today's story begins, actually, in 2 Chronicles, verse 36. God stirs in the heart of a man named King Cyrus. I want you to hear this. If you have your Bible closed, I encourage you to open it again. It's 2 Chronicles 36, verse 22. Listen how God stirs in his heart. It says, now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord of the mouth, by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia. I want to give a little bit of background on this. The first hearers who would have heard this story would have noticed that there's a surprise in the text, even in this brief verse. You see, the nation of Israel was blessed by God. They had a nation state. They had been given the promise of the land flowing with milk and honey. But as you probably know, if you study the Bible, they were conquered by various enemies. They lived in and out of exile. And these other pagan rulers were ruling over them. And Cyrus, king of Persia, was one such leader. Three times in these two verses, it says Cyrus, king of Persia. 
The surprise in the text is that if God is moving, if God is doing something for his people, you might expect it to say, so-and-so, the faithful king of Israel, the one whose faith in Yahweh led his people. But instead, you have this pagan king, the king of Persia. He knows nothing of the God of the Bible. He's a pagan. He's not a follower of God. Yet, God stirred in his heart to lead God's people back to having a temple in Jerusalem. That's a surprise in the text. You might have expected it to say, God waited for another faithful king of Israel before he rebuilt the temple. No, God used this pagan king. Now, there's been a lot made about this sentence over the years. In fact, in 1948, Harry Truman was the president of the United States and he was instrumental in getting the nation state of Israel reset back in, in now what we know it to be. And he actually declared himself a modern day King Cyrus. That he wasn't the king of Israel, but he was a foreign king, the president of the United States, and he helped get the people back. And people over the years have tried to ascribe this King Cyrus persona onto various other world leaders. But I actually think that misses a deeper point that's going on here. What I'm amazed by in the fact that the king of Persia was stirred in his spirit to do God's work, what I'm amazed by is that, you know, God can use anybody to do his work. And if God can use anybody to do his work, he can use you and he can use me. Now, we're laughing a little bit about this, but I deal with this a lot as a pastor. I, I hear insecurities from people. Oh, I couldn't possibly do that ministry because I'm not faithful enough or I don't have a good enough prayer life or I this or I that. We all feel insecure like we don't qualify to do God's work. In fact, after the first service, somebody pulled me aside and they said, I can't believe you said that in the sermon because when Pastor Heather was commissioning the care ministers, I was sitting in my pew thinking, I could never do that. I could never do what they do. I'm not good enough. But if God can use Cyrus, king of Persia, he can use anybody. And if he can use anybody, he can use us. You think God is holding back, waiting to do his work through you until you get your act together? <laughs> no, let's just think about this for another minute. The God of the Bible is the God who created the whole universe, the one who stands outside of the space-time continuum, the one who holds in the palm of his hand the galaxies, who holds Jupiter and Saturn and Earth and Mars in their orbits around the sun, for example. And you think his hands are tied until you pray hard enough. No, if he wants to use you, he'll use you. In fact, he might be using you already in ways you don't even know for his good work in this world. It's God who's the acting agent. He stirs up our hearts. He calls us to action. Oftentimes we have this belief that we need to ascend some staircase of spiritual readiness or faithfulness in order to reach God or to be useful by God. But if anything's clear in the Bible, it's not that he's beckoning us to come up the mountain to meet him, but rather that he descends to be with us. We have a God who has moved into our neighborhood, who dwells among us. That's the actual proclamation that he gave Cyrus, king of Persia. Let's read in verse 23 what God stirred in his heart to do exactly. 
Verse 23, thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. This should startle us too. This should surprise us too. The God of the heavens, the God who created the whole universe, said, I want to be in a particular place in a particular time. Cyrus, king of Persia, build me a house in Jerusalem. You see the descent of our God? It's kind of like, I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but have you ever been in the room where there's a really famous person? It's pretty interesting. Maybe a person who you've only ever seen on movies or on television or you've only read about, and all of a sudden you're in the same room as them. It's kind of cool, isn't it? It's like, whoa, there's a famous person right over there. There's like something that's, that's been broken through, the barrier between famous and regular folks like us. All of a sudden they're in the room. Well, imagine if a really, really famous person was standing in your living room. And then imagine if that person said, you know, I kind of like you here. Can I move in? And you suddenly realize they had suitcases all around them. And they started unpacking and said, I want to dwell with you. I want to live with you. What would you do? You would start getting things ready and it would kind of change your world a little bit. That you'd have somebody living with you. Well, how much more amazing is it that God said to Cyrus, king of Persia, build me a house. I'm coming to the neighborhood. I'm moving in with my people. The God who created the whole universe says, I want to be with you. That's amazing. That should startle us. We know this story. Usually we tell it around the time of Advent in John chapter 1, where it's talking about Jesus. And it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is the God of the universe we've been talking about. And in verse 14 of that same chapter, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. God says, I'm coming and I'm moving in to be among you. Build me a house. Make me a space. Carve out some room for me. You know, this room that we're in right now is such a room. Where a group of people, right before my time, a few years before I got here, a group of people said, let's build God another house in this neighborhood. And when we outgrew the old one. Let's make him a space where on Sundays we can gather in his name and worship him, to give him our hearts, to give him our praise, our worship, our very selves. And one of the ways that we created this building to be God's house is before all the drywall was up, when it was just the two-by-fours and the studs, a group of people from the congregation went around with Bibles in their hands and Sharpies, and they wrote Scripture on the inside of the wall. Some of you have joined the church since then. You don't know this story. It's worth telling and retelling. That on the inside of these walls is God's word. Can you show them that picture, Matt? We dug out some of the pictures from that time. Look at that. All throughout this building. In fact, this week we're remodeling the comfort room downstairs and the guys came to demo. They pulled off the drywall and they're moving some walls down there to make space for all the babies we have in this church. And we realized that there was some scripture down there in those walls too, but Matthew told me this morning that the workers are so fast, the new sheetrock went up before we could take pictures of the 
scripture that was in there, but just trust me, it's all in there. It's back there behind the walls. God says, build me a house, make me a space, and we're in such a room right now. Similarly, a few hours from now, we'll go down to Stamford and we'll be in a boxing gym. It doesn't really look like this room, but that too is a space for God. It's a house for God. We transform what Monday through Saturday is a place where people come and work out and sweat, and we transform it into a place for God, where we can lift up our hearts in praise, and week after week after week, God says, you made a house for me? And he floods the place with his spirit. It's awesome. If you haven't worshipped down there with us, come sometime. You want to go to God's house, you're used to meeting him here in this room, but you can also meet him there. It's a beautiful thing week after week. But God goes even further. He says, build me a house, come into my sanctuary, come and worship me collectively like this every Sunday. But God goes even further in his love, in his grace, to be with us, to connect with us, to be in relationship with us. He says, not only do I want you to build me a house where you can worship me, I want to I make your heart my home as well. I want to move into that neighborhood. In Ephesians 3, verse 16, it says, May you be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Our hearts want, he wants us to make our hearts a home. How do we do that? In the same way we've made this building his home, by writing scripture on the inner parts. The more we read scripture, the more we dwell on the word of God, the more we make our hearts his home. His Holy Spirit wants to come and dwell within us. In John 14, Jesus says, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him or her. In that Ephesians passage, it's the Holy Spirit saying, I want to come make your heart my home. In this one, it's both the Father and the Son. God is so serious about this idea of coming and indwelling with us that all three members of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are knocking on the door of our hearts saying, let me in. I want to come dwell with you. I want to make you my home. Famously in Revelation 3.20, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. We're living in the midst of a loneliness epidemic. Where almost everybody in our society is feeling disconnected. From each other. I believe that started, that starts with disconnection from God. When we stop connecting with God, when we don't answer that knocking door of God saying, I want to come live in there. I want to come be connected with you. I want to live in your heart. I want to be in your thought world. I want to be in your relationships. I want to be in your home. I want to be in your marriage. When we leave that knocking at the door, we disconnect from him and no wonder we can hardly connect with one another. This message from God that he wants to come and be with us, it's not going away. And it's actually the solution to this great big problem we have in our culture of loneliness. He's knocking. If there's anybody here who doesn't feel that 
connection that your soul longs for? Hear him knocking. He's not waiting for you to ascend to some spiritual level to be with him. He descends. He says, I want to move into your neighborhood. I want to live in you and through you. To me, what's really interesting, what's really amazing is is what happens next after God comes and, and dwells with us. He moves into our neighborhood. Ultimately, what he's doing is he's coming to our neighborhood to collect us and to bring us home to our eternal neighborhood, to our eternal dwelling place. He says in John 14, he says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go prepare a place for you? And if I go prepare a place for you, I'll come again and I'll take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. You see the heart of God here? He wants to be so connected with us. He wants to be in relationship with us so much that he has come to our neighborhood to ultimately bring us to our eternal home just to be with him forever. And that eternal home where we are heading... You know, I get the sense it looks a little bit like that neighborhood my brother lives in. It says in Revelation that in heaven there will be people of every nation, every tongue, and every tribe, all gathered, all bowing our knees around the throne of Jesus, saying, You are worthy, you are holy, you are our Savior. And we will all live together, no longer in division, no longer in disconnection, but in unity around the throne of Christ. The invitation that God extends to all of us today is to let him in more into our lives, into our neighborhoods, into our households as a foretaste of where he will ultimately bring us all. Amen.